Wings for the game, boom, cash back. New lucky jersey, boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. And oh, did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That's right. It's time for with the first pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. That voice here laughing there is uh, Rick Spielman. This is episode three of CBS Sports Draft Analyst Ryan Wilson. I'm joined by our general manager, the aforementioned Rick Spielman, who has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. On today's show, we'll talk a little bit about notable bowl opt-outs, which has uh, been a sea change over the last seven or eight years, and Rick will talk about that. Based on his experiences, we'll talk a little about Caleb Williams and his Heisman win and perhaps what that means for him going forward. Uh, some of Rick's top quarterback prospects during his time in the league, both uh, throughout the 30 years in the NFL, as well as uh, more recently over the last five years or so. And then our favorite segment, Rick. Rick's picks. Uh, the first two episodes, we talked Justin Jefferson, huge success. Adrian Peterson, huge success. This week, we're going Stefan Diggs, former fifth-round pick, I believe, uh, made by our very own Rick Spielman. Rick, how are you doing? I'm still getting over. I don't know what the entry to the theme th song is. It's like, you know, uh, when you go up to bat, you got some kind of theme music. You're when welcome. You're going up to the plate, and it's like one week it's hey, 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 hey. And <laughs> I don't know what that was this week. But we may need to get the fans out there involved on getting us an actual theme song that sounds halfway decent before we uh, get into the meat and potatoes of this show. Yeah, a little peek behind the curtain, Debo. Debo's producing, which is always great. Uh, Rick and I talked this morning, and uh, he reminded me of where Hey, Hey, Hey came from. So I decided to move away from that. Luckily, Rick pointed it out. So now people are going to be even more intrigued about uh, the origins of Hey, Hey, Hey. And I tried something new. We'll try something different. Rick, will let you do the intro next week. I'll be interested to see. <laughs> <laughs> they don't pay me enough money to do the creative thinking on here. I'm just uh, just get fed every now and then and come up there and just start talking. All right, before we get going, one more thing. You can watch the show on the Pick 6 YouTube channel. We're going live right now. Get the audio version on your favorite podcast platform by searching with the first pick. And since we're brand new, it would mean the world to us if you could like the video on YouTube. And if you're watching us live, join us in the, com the comments or leave a comment or a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Rick, I, like I told you this morning in our little conversation, uh, the podcast seems to be doing pretty well. I've gotten a ton of good feedback. We've gotten five-star reviews on Spotify and on iTunes. So, so that's good. They don't hate us yet. 
uh, like I told you, you're carrying the show, so I appreciate that. Uh, keep doing what you're doing because, uh, you know. Well, I, we haven't got to, into the actual mock draft talking, so there, I'm sure there will be a lot of hate and disagreement out there once we get going through this process, especially as we get going through the Senior Bowl and the uh, Combine and, and the Pro Day workouts and coming up with how this finally is all going to shake out. Because uh, I looked at your mock draft again here recently, yeah, and we we got a lot of work to do yet, bud. <laughs> I was about to say, I can confirm that people absolutely hate mock drafts. It goes uh, politics, religion, and mock drafts in that order in terms of how angry folks get when you put something out there. All right, let's start before we get into... Uh, uh, I was what? angry, so I can, I can feel the people out there. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, all right, so let's talk about notable bowl opt-outs. And, and I mentioned that because if you go back to the 2017 season, uh, that was the year that um, our buddies Christian McCaffrey and, and Leonard Fournette, both first-round picks, uh, both to varying degrees, having relatively successful careers, I think that's fair to say. But uh, yeah, let's take us back in the time machine before we talk about these opt-outs, uh, about the feeling among the league, the feelings uh, in, in the Vikings organization with you making a lot of those decisions about what it meant for a college football player. And this was a out-of-this-world idea that a, a college football player wouldn't play in a bowl game and instead opt out and prepare, in Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey's case, for, for the NFL draft. So what, what were your thoughts on that as it happened in real time, and have they changed over the years? Well, I think this is like talking what you pointed out earlier, talking about religion or politics, because everybody's going to have a different view on this. And... Uh, so I've always kind of taken the old school approach that when you have an opportunity to go out there and compete, go out there and do it. Don't turn something down. And the question I had was, if you have an opportunity to compete in these bowl games, uh, go play in an all-star game. Um, if you are uh, going to do all your pro days, the combine, do everything you can when you get an opportunity to compete. And I always kind of looked at it in a way that if I have two guys – at the same position that are stacked right next to each other on the draft board. And one guy goes out there and he gets an opportunity to compete. He's not going to turn that down. He's going to go compete. And the other guy was like, well, I've got to make business decisions, which I can understand that too, uh, and not go out there and compete. And I think that's the way it seems like every year it's trending more and more. But I always looked at the guy that, hey, it's just football. Let's just go out there and play. I know we talked about in some earlier podcasts. Um, colleges will put insurance policies on these players that especially go out and play to make sure that they're protected financially on where they potentially would get drafted. And if they did get an injury and they, they lose some financial uh, backing that way, how does that insurance policy kick in? Uh, and then I think, Ryan, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, all of a sudden, when we started to get into these playoffs and the four teams, and all of a sudden, now you're playing for a national championship. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I definitely got to go out there and play because I'm going to go out there and, and I don't want to say win one for the gifter, but go out there and fight <laughs> with my teammates, someone that I've been, you know, three or four years with, sweating, blood, sweat, and tears through the offseason, the training camps the games, and I want to go out there and, and fight with them one last time and see if we can go win a national championship. Maybe because of that, and I'm just throwing an idea out against the, uh, you know, the wall here and see what sticks, and I'm interested in hearing your opinion, is that the other bowls, although it's great 
uh, to be able to participate in a bowl, and it's an accomplishment you had to earn that right to participate in a bowl. Uh, are those bowls as important as potentially playing in the in the national championship game or in those playoffs to get to the national championship game? Yeah, that's exactly something I was thinking about as we were putting this together because it doesn't feel like there have been a lot of opt outs in the in the playoffs, right? It feels like most of those kids play. The Alabama kids always play. I don't know if that's going to change this year. We'll find out. But it feels like every time we've had the playoffs, all those players have been available uh, from one through four. And to your larger point, it does seem like once you go to a bowl game that isn't January 1st or after, they're, those, those I would imagine, agents are more inclined to convince their clients that they don't need to take part in those bowl games. So I, I think there is something to that. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I don't, off the top of my head, I can't come up with uh, any players I don't think that have opted out. They weren't injured or had other reasons to. Now, we'll talk about Jackson Smith and Jigman in a second, and he's opting out, but he, he's had some injuries. And in a lot of ways, this feels like what, what Nick Bosa did a few years ago. He had the, the core muscle injury like three or four weeks into the season. And he just said, I'll, I'll see you guys on the other side. Uh, turns out he was fine. Um, but something else I want to mention, and, and you mentioned the sort of the old school approach about one last time with your teammates and and doing that for, I don't want to call it the right reasons, but for the reasons of, of being on a team and all that come with it. What was your thought when the year before McCaffrey and, and Fournette decided to opt out? What was your thought when Jalen Smith and Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl shredded his knee and all of a sudden everyone's like, oh boy, this is going to cost this young man a lot of money? Yeah, and that's I understand that's the risk and reward of, of playing in these games. And you could have that, but, you know, uh, and I go back to Jamison Williams, who I know he yeah. played and it was for a playoff to get into the national championship game, uh, but he still got drafted 12th overall. And uh, even though, and he tore his ACL at a skilled position. So you thought maybe that would have affected him. I'm sure Alabama and why those kids play is because Nick Saban does take care of those guys and he makes sure that they do have some kind of insurance policy in place. That's why they're Alabama to uh, cover any potential lost wages uh, if something comes down from an injury. Uh, but you're going to open up. A, a can of worms and we'll go down there. So what if a kid, and I'm asking you your, your opinion on this, he is a second or third rounder and he has an opportunity to improve his draft stock by playing in that final game, that bowl game, by going down and participating and playing in a senior bowl or an East West game to try to show that he's better than maybe the original draft board is currently stacked uh, by teams because all they're going off of. So what about that guy that's turning down these opportunities to compete and to maybe move his draft stock higher and make potentially more money? No, that's an important question. And let's use my guy, Bo Nix, who I think has done, <laughs> who had a, <laughs> what do you want to say? Go ahead. Say, I can see it already. Just no, I, yeah. Okay. Go Bo so, Nix. <laughs> let's, let's go Bo Nix. Transfer from Auburn to where it was dysfunctional. I think we can agree to Oregon. Yeah. Well, he's, he's had a pretty good season. I still don't know if he's coming back or not. Let's assume he's coming out, but let's assume he doesn't play in the bowl game, but instead goes to the senior bowl. I think the senior bowl might be more valuable. I, I want to hear what you thought because you obviously know how the senior bowl works because you're seeing them in control situations. You're getting a chance to talk to them and sort of have an interview with him, an actual interview. You could probably ask him some X's and O's questions if that's what you want to do or some background questions. And then you see him interact with other teammates that he hasn't had a chance to work with before, how the practices look when you haven't had a chance to work with these guys. And the game's less important for the Senior Bowl, but I think those three practices and the interviews are invaluable 
do you agree that the senior bowl or the shrine bowl or wherever you might go is actually more important and you should go to that? And I think every player should go to those things, even if you're injured, as opposed to going to the holiday bowl, for example, not to crap on the holiday bowl, but not a, Jeez. not a uh, top four, uh, you know, playoff bowl. <laughs> I was heading to the holiday bowl. Apparently I'm going to have to cancel my reservation since it's not that uh, well thought of by you. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love holidays. I love the holiday bowl. What do you think about my theory? Yeah. Mr. Grinch <laughs> canceling the holiday bowl this year. Look, man, I got my trees up and everything, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There that's a, that's a facade. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, also our game bowls more important than bowl games in your eyes or no? I just think they're all important, and okay. I always just looked at it that anyone who is a competitor that has an opportunity to compete, go out there and compete. That's what you get paid to do because the question I may ask is – Are they is, not getting paid? Well, they are now, but they weren't. Yeah, but okay. So let's say you're in the last year of your contra NFL contract and your team is out of the playoffs and you got three or four games left. Uh, question I'm going to ask that prospect – are you going to bail out because you don't want to risk injury because you're in the final two or three games of this contract? We haven't been able to extend extend you. Uh, so you're going to come up with, let's say, a hamstring or something like that where you sit out the rest of the year waiting because you already played 14 or 15 games that you have on tape. Or are you going to go out there and be a professional and mm. compete? And that's so I always kind of – Put that in the back of my head. If this kid turns down an opportunity to compete in a bowl game, if this kid turns down an opportunity to compete in an all-star setting, if he turns down an opportunity to compete in the combine, and there is a trend going, then what makes you think that you won't turn down an opportunity to compete if something is not going your way or we're out of the playoffs and uh, you're at the end of your contract? You don't want to get hurt because you know you. if we don't extend you, you're going to get an extension somewhere else. No, that's a fair point. That That is actually a point that I don't think a lot of us, myself included, consider. All right, let's spin this forward and talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I mentioned earlier. He's had a hamstring injury the entire season. I think he played three games, uh, and I don't think he played all, all of those games, just parts of those games. He's opting out. Uh, Michael Mayer, who is my tight end one out of Notre Dame, is opting out. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, uh, who's going to be – feels like a first-round pick, the, the Colorado transfer now at uh, Oregon. And I'm pretty sure he wouldn't transfer back to Colorado after Deion Sanders gave that little pep talk to, to, the, to the crew. <laughs> um, but Christian C uh, Gonzalez had, had a good season. Now, of these three, and they're different players, obviously, and Jigba has an injury, so I don't know if that weighs on your mind differently. But – 2022 Rick versus 2014 Rick. Any differences about how you feel about these players, where they might be slotted in your draft board, based on the fact that they're focusing now on on, on the pre-draft process? I, I can maybe be a little bit more lenient lenient on these guys that you mentioned that are probably going to be first-round picks. Um, I could understand the Ohio State receiver Nick Jagba, uh, not because I don't know how healthy his hamstring is, is. And it hasn't been healthy all year, mm -hmm. or it has been bothering him all year, because you've rarely seen him play a lot this season off the tape. So I don't know where he is at from a health standpoint. I will say this, though. If a player is injured, I would not put myself, especially if I'm a first-rounder, not put myself in harm's way to re-injure myself before this important pre-draft process starts. Um, I wouldn't take that type of risk. But if I'm completely healthy and I got a chance to compete, uh, I, I'd still believe that you should go out there and compete. Yeah, so if you're watching on YouTube, Debo just put up the 
the graphic. I had Jackson Smith and Jigba going to the Patriots in the middle of the first round. Um, we'll we'll see how that unfolds. But the Patriots certainly could use some help at wide receiver. Uh, Nikhil Hare didn't work out. They have since moved him to Chicago, and and they've they you know they've tried to to fill the position and, and it's been hit or miss. Uh, I don't think Smith and Jigba. And again, I got to go back and watch a little more of the 2020 tape because there is no 2021 tape, and I haven't done that yet. Uh, actually, 2022 tape. He did play pretty well in 2021. 2021. Just, uh, thank you. I forgot what year. It I was. guess this. That's I'm an editor as well. So, um, Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave. How would you rank those three? Uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and then in uh, Jigba. And okay. The reason I I say that was. And Jigba was only in the slot in the games that I watched. I don't know if he can play outside. He's an excellent route runner. Um, he can get into and out of his cuts. He has very good hands. I just don't know how fast he is mm -hmm. and how big he is. And you didn't get an opportunity to see if he could build off of or maintain that level he played when he set that, you know, all-time that will never be broken receiving record in a Rose Bowl uh, the year before. So – I think he is as polished of a receiver as coming out. I just don't know how unique his physical traits are compared to some of these other guys coming out or how high his ceiling is. I'm not saying he's not a very good receiver because he is, uh, but I don't know if he's just a slot or if he can play outside. And I don't know how fast he's going to run even before the hamstring injury. Uh, and, and I just don't know how high his ceiling will be. Yeah, Debo notes 347 in the Rose Bowl. That's pretty good. I'm not great with numbers, but 347 feels like a pretty good afternoon. Uh, <laughs> by the way, career for a lot of guys. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, speaking of Ohio State receivers, and look, we talk about Caleb Williams looking ahead. I'm pretty excited about Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I don't no. know. <laughs> yeah, your, your eyebrows almost fell off there when you when you raised him talking about looking. Yeah, boy, you really found a fine there. No one else knew about this kid. Listen, don't Rick, don't tell anyone. There's this kid called Marvin Harrison Jr. I think his dad played the your, league. We we usually call those those our rat hole pocket uh, players. We kind of keep them in the back pocket, yeah. and then like no one knows about these guys. These are secrets. Yeah, that's right. So keep that to yourself if you don't mind. Uh, so let's talk about Michael Mayer. He, he's not he's not going to win a foot race necessarily. But I think he does a lot of things really well. Uh, you're very critical, much more so than me, about blocking tight ends. Like I, I'm a an easy grader with blocking tight ends, but I think he's a threat in the middle of the field. He has a pretty big catch radius. He seems to catch everything that's thrown his way. And look, let's be honest, Drew Pine wasn't the best quarterback, and he's probably in the transfer portal for a reason. No disrespect to him, but they've had better quarterbacks come through there. So I had him, and I had him for some time going to – I love the idea of him and Justin Herbert together with the Chargers, so I've had Mayer going there uh, in the bottom third of the first round. What, what do you think about Michael Mayer as he compares to other recent sort of first-round tight ends and what you look for in those qualities when you're going to take a, a tight end that early? Yeah, I think uh, if you look back recently to the tight ends and even to some of the tight ends, because I think it's a very good tight end class this year, but he is one of the most complete tight ends that I've evaluated. Uh, not only uh, is he a very good route runner, he may not run a 4-5, but I think he's going to run in the 4-6s, 4-7s. He has nice. excellent okay. hams. I don't think I've seen a drop in all the tapes, whether it's contested or uncontested. Uh, he has extremely uh, talented hands. And I think you can put him in multiple positions. You can put him as a, on the line traditional wide tight end where I think he's an effective enough blocker. You can put him as an H-back. You can split him out some and try to create some mismatches versus linebackers on the outside. He's just an overall 
very good football player, and he may fit that category, a much better football player than he may test mm -hmm. athletically, although I think he's a very a good athlete. I don't think he is uh, Kyle Pitts, who came out of Florida a few years ago, that type of athlete. But uh, don't discredit what this guy is as a football player, and this guy's going to play and be a, be, a, be a really good player in the league for a really long time. Here's my comp, and you can go ahead and start hating it before I hit the words leave my mouth because you hate my comps. Heath Miller. Oh, my God. <laughs> Is that a good oh, my God, or a bad oh, my God? <laughs> oh, you you figure, yeah, let the fans figure that one out. Heath Miller. He, well, you know this. Heath didn't run uh, because he had a hernia surgery before the pre-drive process. This is back in 2005, so I'm dating myself. And I felt like he was uh, out of UVA, uh, former quarterback. I'm, I'm sure that um, – I'm not – I don't know, but Mike Mayer was probably – everyone was a former quarterback, it feels like. Um and he never, he was never known as a burner, but he did a lot of things really well. He ended up being a good blocking tight end, never dropped anything. Not as big as Mayer. I think he was closer to 250, 255. Mayer's listed 265. We'll see. So you, you let that, that comp marinate and you can let me know how much you dislike it uh, on, on the next pod. You know, if I'm just now that we're sitting there talking, if I, if I uh, try to make a comp and I think he came out last year, um, and this, believe me, this guy is uh, better. Uh, but a similar style of game was the uh, tight end that came out of Colorado State. Was Trey it McBride? McBride? Yep, second because round. Because he wasn't overly big. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, very good. But he caught everything. Yes. This guy is a better version of McBride, in my opinion. All right, we agree on something. I liked McBride a lot last year, too. I thought second round felt about right, and that's where the Cardinals took him. So That's probably a better comparison, but you go ahead and keep swinging at it. Yeah, I'm going to keep trying, you know. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, what's the saying? Uh if you never hit anything you don't swing at, is that what it is? So I'm gonna keep swinging. A lot of strikeouts, but that's okay. No backwards K's. Uh, all right, let's let's uh, fire through some of these other names. You and I both love Osiris Torrance, who's gonna opt out. The the guard from Florida, uh, transferred from Louisiana, I believe. I think that's right. His first year, he looked like he's been in the SEC for five years. The way he's played. Um, yep. I'll mention these names, and you you can talk about anyone you want here. Drew Sanders, uh, uh, sort of, he was a five-star transfer from Alabama when he wasn't going to play because of Dallas Clark and, and Will and Anderson would get that. He's had a pretty good transformation in Arkansas. He plays inside and out. Uh, he's a long, sort of slender, off-ball linebacker who can play outside. Anton Harrison, the uh, tackle from Oklahoma, there was some conversation he might return because of NIL money. It looks like he is opting out and coming out. And then Cam Smith, the, the cornerback, out of South Carolina, the the latest in a, a line of quarterbacks that seem to make their way from from Columbia to the NFL. Any of those guys stick out in terms of ones you want to talk about? Yeah, they're all very good football players. The guard from Florida, I think, is the most complete guard um, that will be in a, maybe the best interior offensive lineman coming out this year, although he may be a one-position guy. Uh, his strength, although he's bigger, reminds me of uh, the kid that came out of Boston College, was it, last year? that uh, the L.A. Chargers. Oh, yeah, Zion Johnson. Yes, but he was a big physical left tackle that moved into guard. This guy has played guard, but I think he's only a guard. But his style of play reminds me of that a little bit, just on how strong and how stout he is uh, as a football player. Drew Sanders, uh, I'm going to have him travel right now with Campbell, who I really like from Iowa, too. Both very long, athletic kids. Uh, I think... Uh, the kid from Arkansas is a better pass rusher. I think defensive coordinators are going to be uh, slobbering all over this kid because he can play the run, although I'd like to see him take on a little bit more physical, but there's not a lot of linebackers that know how to use their hands to get off blocks nowadays, but it can be taught for, for a six, 
supposedly five kid. He has range. He has quick twitch. He can run. Uh, he plays the game with a hair on fire. He's got a high motor and higher energy. He can cover. I didn't see much man coverage, but I thought he had awareness in zone. And for a 6'5 guy, he can really drop his weight and close to routes underneath him, recognizing that. And I call that transition quickness. And the thing that I think that uh, teams would really like to do is use him some as a pass rusher. He shows some ability off the edge. But what we did a little bit with Anthony Barr, who was similar in this size, maybe a little bit heavier, heavier, is that we always felt that if you can get a 6'5 linebacker that's athletic like him, uh, that that's going to create a mismatch uh, when running backs are trying to pick him up in pass protection. That and actually, think, go ahead. Yeah, and I think it's the same thing with uh, Campbell from uh, Iowa as well. Yeah, I like Sanders a little better than Campbell, but the, you mentioned the 6'5 athleticism and linebacker. What were your thoughts on Zayvon Collins coming out of Tulsa, right? Tulsa, I think. I, I didn't think he was nearly as physical as this kid is or as physical as Campbell was. Maybe I'm off. Maybe you disagree. Uh, I don't know. And I really, you know, will sleep well at night if you do disagree with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, in that but case, I thought, I I thought these guys uh, were a little twitchier athletically and played a lot more physical than uh, Collins did when he came out of Tulsa. Yeah, I actually did like Collins coming out. So that's uh, good news for you. All right, let's take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk a little Heisman and Caleb Williams. Be back in a second. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, here we go. Heisman Trophy time. I don't know if you followed this closely historically or, or this time, uh, or this time especially because you had a little more free time uh, on your hands, but uh, how'd you feel about the Caleb Williams winning the Heisman situation? And did you think that perhaps players like Hinton Hooker got the, the short end of the stick? No, I, th I thought probably Caleb Williams probably deserved it for the way he played. I mean, he went out there again playing for Lincoln Rally, who has a history now of taking quarterbacks and making them into Heisman Trophy winners. Um, but I thought he was a more dynamic athlete, made more dynamic eye-catching plays. 
Uh, I'm not taking anything away from Hooker, and I don't want to say that, you know, the end of the season when they they lost a couple games and then you tear your ACL, uh, if that had an effect on Heisman Trophy uh, voters. Uh, but Kalen Williams, you know, he didn't play great now in that in that U- Utah game and the Pac-12 championship game, but this guy was probably one of the most, if not the most, explosive playmaker at the position this year. And to do that, just being there one year and transferring, understanding it was under the same system. But they took a program that was very mediocre and made it into almost a uh, uh, a Final Four team this year. Yeah, that's what happens when NIL money gets you a couple first-round picks. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that'll help. Jordan Addison and, and Caleb Williams. So Sean Payton um, was on Colin Coward a few weeks ago, and, and he called – Caleb Williams, a generational player. Obviously, Sean Payton's a fantastic head coach. Took the year off. We'll see if he comes back. Um, now, this time of year, it feels like we're always looking forward to the next draft class of quarterbacks and saying, all right, this class is going to be really good if you don't like this year's version. And that happened a year ago when Kenny Pickett led the charge, and we, were, we thought this year was going to be the year. If we look ahead to next year, do you get the sense, and you haven't watched Caleb closely, I haven't watched him closely because he's not on, on the draft radar, but just in passing, does he feel like a, a generational player, number one? And number two, if you were still general manager, would you reach out to, to the area scouts and say, hey, should we be worried about this guy now? Or is that something you worry about after this upcoming draft's over and you, you address in the offseason? No, I think most teams are just focused on now. And if they have a, a quarterback need, can any of these guys coming out in this year's draft fill that need? If you're going to keep waiting and say, oh, we'll get our quarterback the following year. Well, what if you don't get an opportunity to get that quarterback? And if it's Caleb Williams and he's determined a uh, generational, as that's the new term, I guess, these days, generational mm-hmm. quarterback, well, what makes you think? Are you are you going to just go out and try to lose every game ne- next year? Well, if you do that, you're probably end up going, end up going to get fired, if, especially if you're going to have the first overall pick. So... I wouldn't worry about it. I think, you know, when you start putting uh, what, what, what what will look like the 2024 draft class will be in May, but everybody's so honed in and focused right now on trying to get this draft class uh, studied and their draft board stacked that you don't have time to really worry about 2024. And there's plenty, I think this is going to be a very good draft. There's going to be plenty of players that are going to come in and, and make an impact and help teams next year. Yeah, your answer actually led, led, leads me to this question, which is something that, that I've been thinking about. Um, so fans and even media members this time of year start talking about how NFL teams are, are tanking, teams that seasons aren't going the way they want yeah. them to go. And number one, that seems like an incredibly difficult thing to do when you have a, a group full of men in your locker room that aren't used to losing. They're some of the most competitive people on earth. And that goes all the way up to the front office. And as you sort of pointed out, you know, typically team owners aren't in it to lose money and they start firing people when, when it looks like things are going sideways. So is, is there tanking in the NFL? How would it happen if there is tanking? And the other issue is how do you know you're going to hit a home run with Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning if you're tanking for next year's draft class? Yeah, I don't believe there's tanking. I, I really believe that there's too much integrity. And if you're a true professional, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, whether you're in front office, you're going out there to try to compete and win every week. And even if you look at Houston this week, who have right now locked in the number one overall pick, um, they played their rear ends off and had a chance to really pull a big upset off this weekend down in Dallas against a very good Dallas Cowboys team. So 
Uh, I don't, you know, and then if you are tanking, which no one I think is tanking, but let's say you were tanking, <laughs> what do you think <laughs> is the necessity to say that I'm going to tank because I know this player is a generation generational player and he's going to change the franchise and he's going to change He's going to be the face of our franchise. Well, if you're 100% guaranteed, I'd like to know who that is because he's a lot smarter than anyone else in this business. You can't, I mean, do you think they were tanking last year uh, and who went number for uh, nothing against? I think he's going to be a good player. Uh, Trayvon Walker from right. Georgia, who was a number one overall pick. Is that a game-changing uh, first overall pick? Or is that something that, you know, Jacksonville felt that was the best player on the board? But would you tank for something like that? No. So to me, no. You you get paid as a professional to go out and compete every week, a la bowl games, a la senior bowl, et cetera. But we'll get, we already uh, talked about that. But you get paid to go out there and compete and do your best to try to win every week. And I think everybody has enough integrity and professionalism to do that. Right. It just feels like it's hard to pull off. It's one of those things like um, if there were some hint at maybe not playing quite as hard, that would leak out from the locker room to the players would tell someone and to be a whole thing. You mentioned Trevon Walker the year before it was uh, Tre uh, Trevor Lawrence. The year before that, there was a conversation about tanking for two or three of the Dolphins turns out Joe Burrow came out of nowhere and was uh, the, the best player in that draft class. And he, he's actually sort of played like the best player coming out of that draft class. Although Tua and Justin Herbert have certainly had their moments as well. So you don't know what the next 12 months holds when you sort of have that conversation as a member of the media or, or a fan base. And, and that leads me to Rick, uh, something I think is going to be pretty fun to talk about uh, in your 31 years in the NFL, your all time list of, of, quarterback prospects but first let's start with the with the past five years so a little more recently for folks who aren't in the same uh age bracket as us and <laughs> and, and we'll work our way back <laughs> so the last five years who is your best number one guy you got to have at the quarterback position yeah well after we had an error in listings uh god forbid i ended up with your list somehow yeah, but that's the good fine. list and the bad list i won't say which is which <laughs> So my top five, I would say, and are we in this conversation trying to filter in the guys in this year's draft? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So my top five were Trevor Lawrence, one, Burrow, two, Herbert, three, Bryce Young, this year, four, mm. Tua, five, and then I have five more after that. All right, let's include six because he's also a, uh, a this year version guy. Who do you have at six? Uh, C.J. Stroud. All right, so we have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud in the top six. Uh, before we get to this year's class, I want to ask you about one and two because I, uh, I told you this little story here. During the Joe Burrow draft, which is the year before Trevor Lawrence was number one overall, I asked Pete Prisco and, and our Brady Quinn, uh, would you take Joe Burrow or would you want Trevor Lawrence as your franchise quarterback for the next 10 years or whatever? And I was on Team Burrow. Brady and Pete were on on Team Lawrence, and understandably so. Um, why did you like Lawrence better than Burrow? Is it the physical stuff? Because obviously the arm strength's better, he's taller, or is, was there something else that, that stuck out to you? No, the biggest thing is I thought that uh, Trevor Lawrence, and he is all, you know, 6'6", and he was a unique athlete for that size. So you were probably going to be able to do more with him than maybe a Burrow. Now, Burrow is a great pocket passer. I don't think... 
people maybe underestimated what type of athlete he is. Yeah. Um, you know, but um, he play, he played extremely well. But the reason I had Lawrence over Burrow was probably just because of the size and athleticism and what you know I thought was going to fit better in today's game. Although Burrow, you know, like I said, is 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 one of a kind in himself. Absolutely. Um, number three is Herbert, and Herbert's an interesting one because. I'll be interested if you agree on this. Herbert's last year at Oregon, for me, was not great. And some of that could could perhaps be blamed on the offense he was in. But it seemed like he was pressing at times and, and that he was – he was the accuracy wasn't there like we see it now. And um, I know some people ah, – Wow, there comes the accuracy question. It can't be taught. Did you watch the way he played last night? Sweet, Marcy looked, alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a, a few conversations of that and even some of these. All right, tell me about the conversation. What did you, you have? Draft. Yeah, so when the um, Justin Herbert conversation came out, what were you guys talking about? The biggest thing that stuck about out about him was his size, uh, the arm strength. We did mm. have some questions on that. But I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he had a tremendous game in the Rose Bowl. And that, and as athletic as he was and how many plays he made with his legs that game, we felt that that was unique to be that type of size and to be able to move like he was moving that game. By the way, he attended the bowl game, to your point. Uh, that that helped his case, which is a weird yeah. thing to say about a guy. He ended up being six overall. Um, and he also went to the Senior Bowl that year, and he went to the Senior Bowl along with Jordan Love, and they both had something to prove. And Joe Burrow didn't go to the Senior Bowl because he didn't need to go to the Senior Bowl. We knew Joe Burrow was going to be drafted highly. And I think Justin Herbert, whether through his agent or per talking to his family or looking in inwards, I don't know. But he said, I'm, I'm going to go prove myself. Um, at, Competitor. At the, that's a number one trait to have. It's, it's a, funny. It's funny you mentioned that because it has, has Prisco dropped his fire in the belly concerns about certain quarterbacks on you yet? No. So Justin Herbert doesn't. He's soft spoken. I feel like I think that's a fair thing to say. He's not like a rah rah guy. Joe Burrow feels right. more like a rah rah guy, perhaps. Um, and I don't think Pete said this about Justin Herbert, but he certainly said it about Tua. He says Tua doesn't have fire in the belly, which means you look at him and you get the sense that he's not going to sell his teammates on what he wants to happen. Now, Pete's since apologized because he was had a pretty good year up till last night. Uh, but but I wonder, is there any of that just sort of, uh, you know, first impression eyeball test where you're like, eh, I don't know if this guy has the toughness it takes to lead a team? Well, that's the thing that you try to figure out, the leadership side of it. And there's different ways to lead. You don't have to be a vocal leader to be a leader. You can lead by example. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, who was one of the, best leaders I've ever been around when I was at Minnesota was very soft-spoken and quiet. But in that locker room, there was no question that he was respected by when he came in as a rookie, not only by the young guys, but by the vets as well. So mm. there's different types of leadership. What tells me leadership, when a guy like uh, Herbert goes out there, and like I said, the, the, the plays that he made and how he played the game, there was no question about the competitive fire in his belly but don't take that as a negative if they come across as soft-spoken right uh when you're doing the interview process with him yeah i know people on that offensive staff in los angeles that that said they think he's going to be that he can compete with mahomes every day of the week now there's some other things that need to work out in terms of getting healthy along the offensive line and, the, and their skill position players, but it's hard not to love what Justin Herbert did. And I didn't like him coming out. And I apologize to that man every time we talk about him because I was dead wrong. And I'm, I'm glad he's playing the way, way he's playing. So you have it four, five, and six. And let's include seven. You have Bryce, Tua, 
CJ Stroud, and then Justin Fields. And I want to ask you about Bryce and CJ in particular because they're both ahead of the guys they replaced in college. And I like Justin a little better than CJ. I I, I don't know where I'm going to put Bryce yet. Um, but talk about those comparisons and why you have the the young guys ahead of their uh, their predecessors. I, I thought Bryce just is a unique playmaker. And like we described, he's a Steph Curry of this draft for me, even though we're trying to relate it to football because he's undersized, but yet uh, he makes plays that a lot of people can't make. Mm-hmm. He's more creative and makes more off-schedule throws and did more with less talent, especially this year at the receiver position, than Tua did when he came out. And I like Tua as well. And the difference between C.J. Stroud and Fields was, I just thought C.J. Stroud had a stronger arm that was a more accurate passer, that he has his holes, and we're going to poke a lot of holes in him as we can continue to go down uh, this 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 pre-draft process. But I thought he got through his progressions quicker, although you'd like to see him not hold the ball as long in the pocket as he does. But I think he was a more natural thrower than Justin Fields uh, was. And yeah. he doesn't make as many plays with his legs. But I think when he gets into the NFL and some of these coaches get a hold of him, you're going to see that he's probably a better athlete and can make plays with his legs than he has shown in college. No, I think that's fair. Uh, all right, let's talk about number eight, nine, and ten. Let's group th- these three guys together because there are some similarities and there might be one stark difference. We'll find out in the coming years. But who, are, who do you have at eight, nine, and ten? Oh, this was the uh, the uh, <laughs> the what the uh, wild card category. <laughs> Absolutely, I think that's right. So a lot of these guys, they're just physically so gifted, uh, but you don't know if they're going to be boom or bust and how they're going to respond. So they maybe had, when you're talking about them in the draft uh, meetings, you know they have all the physical traits. And just like an Anthony uh, Richardson that we've talked about earlier, even though I I probably could have put him up there, uh, but Levis, Josh Allen, even Patrick Mahomes, they were such wild cards that did a lot of unique things on tape, but was those going to be able to translate to the NFL? And, you know, Josh Allen took him to about year three before he become the Josh Allen we know today. You know, Patrick Mahomes had a sit a year behind Alex Smith, and then all of a sudden he's the Patrick Mahomes. I think Will Levis may be in that same category. I think they all were smart kids. I sat down, haven't sat down with Will Levis, but we interviewed Josh Allen. We interviewed Patrick Mahomes. They were all very bright, smart kids. You can tell they had that uh, aura about them about being a leader. Uh, There were just like a lot of questions that you weren't sure until you actually seen them doing it at the NFL level. So it wasn't about ability coming out. It was the, how many holes did they have to compare to some of the other guys that this guy can be a, a, a boom or there is some potential bust in him as well. So you have Will Levis listed ahead of Allen and Patrick Mahomes, and this is during the pre-draft process. So I appreciate your honesty because it'd be very easy to put Patrick and Josh number one and two, but is the reason you tell me to do that. You told me to put them like I had them when we came out of the draft board. No, that's what I want. Yeah. I I would be trying Uh, to rewrite history. But yeah, I appreciate, no. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> so is Levis ahead of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes at this point in their respective pre-draft processes is because Levis played in the SEC and 
that gives him a leg up because Josh Allen obviously played at Wyoming and, and the completion percentage was 56 or whatever his last season. Patrick Holmes was sort of more gunslinger than quarterback coming out of Texas Tech, and, and it was sort of hard to get a read on how that might translate. Is it the fact that he's played better competition even though he's played worse against that better competition this season? I thought Will Levis, and you know, when he played last year, everybody, I thought he had a real legitimate chance if he took a step forward and cut down from his interceptions that he might have overtaken and been the number one overall pick out of the quarterbacks in this draft. But he did it. He digressed, whether it was because uh, they didn't have as much talent around him, uh, the offensive line wasn't as good. Uh, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. But there was so much there uh, that when you when you peeled back uh, some of the negatives, the, the raw talent and the arm strength and the athletic ability and the size and the toughness and the way he approached the game, uh, just felt, I felt that more than I did with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes mm. at this stage. Now, please, I know we're going to get a bunch of, I'm not talking about the Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes right. of today. I'm talking about the 20 when they versions came of out of college yes. and you're comparing these interviews and I'm anxious to sit and listen to what Will Levis sounds like. And maybe my opinion changes, Right. but I thought he had. A little bit more, although he has a lot of holes in him in the way he played this year. But that junior tape was better than anything I've seen uh, from Mahomes or uh, Josh Allen when you evaluated them that same year during that same time frame. Yeah, and you alluded to it earlier with Justin Herbert. It feels like accuracy is a thing that doesn't magically show up. But Josh Allen got better. Justin Herbert certainly got better. And those are the things that are so difficult to suss out when you're evaluating these players. Let's say like, you know, obviously you like Josh Allen coming out like year one, year two, when he was in the league, did you think, Oh boy, this may not work out for Buffalo. Or were you like, okay, you have to be patient because he's a young player coming from a, not a big time program and the physical tools are there. And he still seems to be mentally in the right space and a good leader. Uh, or, or were you like, Oh boy, th this is one of those things where you want to want to do over. No, because you, you, you're seeing, especially in Buffalo, when you have to play in those conditions, yeah, you, you've seen the arm talent, you've seen the athletic ability when he had the ball. It was just a matter of understanding what he was seeing on defense because coming from Wyoming, you're not going to see an NFL defense you're going to be playing against. Um, you're just going to be better athletically than everybody else in that conference or that uh, division you're playing in. Um, but you can see the traits. It was just a matter of when it would click over. And again, the, the coaching that he got up there, the ability to improve his accuracy, the ability to improve his touch. I mean, he can throw the ball 90 yards down the field in Wyoming, just doesn't know if it was going to hit anyone or not. So, but all that he worked extremely hard on. And that's why he is who he is today. And it, it, the, the accuracy is, it has really can't come along. Absolutely. And I, and I asked that question to set up this question because I was thinking about this yesterday, um, watching the Bills opponent, the New York Jets. When do you know that you've missed on a first round quarterback? Like, have you ever seen? Yeah. Uh, have yeah, you ever I have. I experienced one miss, big miss. So have you and, ever, has there ever been the case, uh, Rick, where not necessarily quarterback, but any position you draft a player rounds one through seven and you really like the kid on tape and you're in a handful of training camp practices, you go, oh my God, what have we done? Um, and more generally, and then more specifically, like 
at what point do you say, you know what, Mike White's our guy, Zach Wilson isn't, even though Zach Wilson's in year two and he has all these physical tools. It just doesn't look like it's working out. Yeah, usually you, you always uh, the rule was always give them three years, and especially mm-hmm. at the qu- quarterback position, you may want to give them four. Uh, but you want to see if they are trending in the right direction. If they continue to make the same mistakes, uh, and no matter how hard you coach them or how much time you spent, they still don't get it, then eventually you got to say, okay, we're hitting our head against a brick wall here. It's time to move on. Uh, but usually you, you try to look at, at the uh, progression of the player, uh, not only, okay, his first year, then how he was during the OTAs, how he was during training camp. Is he taking the steps forward necessary? And sometimes you got to have patience, and, and there's not a lot of patience in this business anymore. Uh, so if you and your coaching staff believe truly we're, we're just hitting our head against the wall and it's time to move on, then you just you know admit, admit you were wrong because no one's ever going to be right. Uh, move on and try to try to get it better and make a better decision the next time. All right. Can I ask you about the uh, 2011 draft in particular? Yeah. So Cam goes, yeah, first, Cam goes first overall. And look, that was a tough year for quarterbacks. Let's be honest. Uh, it was the lockout year. Um, so Jake Locker goes eight. Blaine Gabbert goes 10. You guys say Christian Ponder at 12. And then the next quarterback doesn't go till round two. Andy Dalton and Colin Kaepernick with back-to-back picks. So Christian Ponder, I don't remember how many years he played in Minnesota, but how, how did that go down? Because obviously it, it wasn't the home run that you're hoping for. No, no, it wasn't. And we took a, uh, we took a shot at it. Uh, we needed a future uh, quarterback. I believe we had, if I'm not mistaken, back in 2011 that we had traded for Donovan McNabb that year. Uh, I'm not, if I recall, I'm not sure. Maybe our uh, cracked pot staff can <laughs> dig that up real quick. That's the way to get him to work hard. Call him a crackpot. <laughs> uh, but it was the tent was let him sit, let him learn. We liked his athletic ability. Played really well in the senior bowl. Uh, super intelligent kid. Um you know, made plays uh, at Florida State, had a good senior year, although they never really took it to the next level with him at the quarterback. So we took a swing at, at Christian Ponder. It was some other things that I won't get into on the air here, uh, probably why uh, it didn't work out for him in Minnesota. Nothing to do with off-field. It's, yeah. He's got the greatest family in the world. Uh, it was more football-related things. But the uh, by one the way, thing, Chris, uh, Rick, excuse me, quickly. Uh, Brett Favre was 2010. You guys traded for Christian uh, for, excuse me, for Donovan McNabb that offseason, July 2011. So he was also okay. on the roster during uh, Christian's rookie season. You're right, and that was a uh, kind of the intent, I think, is to have Christian sit and and go with Donovan McNabb. Um, but what I always felt was when we do make a mistake, that we spent probably more time on going back and analyzing why we made that mm. mistake so we can correct it and hopefully not make that mistake again. And no one's ever going to be perfect. And I uh, had my hits and I've had my misses just like everybody else has. But I always took it personal that if we missed, that's my responsibility on why we missed and how do we make sure that we don't make the same mistake as we move forward again. And and so those are a lot of the times, those were our summer projects, whether it was something in the intelligence score, whether it was something in a medical score, uh, was it something in the analytics that told us, was it just a poor evaluation on tape? 
because uh, usually we're going to have eight or nine evaluations when we're sitting there in these draft meetings reading on especially these top players. And we just, for some reason, whatever we missed, we missed. And then go back and make sure you understand why you missed and then try not to make that same mistake again as you go forward. And you said on, on previous podcasts that one of the things you learned throughout the, the the sort of whole process of this thing is that you want, obviously, quarterbacks who are smart, but what you figured out is you need quarterbacks. They might be great test takers, but they need, need to be able to process information quickly, and that's something that sort of evolved in your thinking as, as you grew in, into your role as a front office person, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's the intelligence plus how quickly can they process when they're under stress, and how can you recreate that so you can get some kind of measurement. Because I said, I can sit here and sound like the smartest guy in the world, but if all of a sudden I have to go operate and I have to make quick decisions in two and a half seconds, um, can I operate at that same level as I can when I'm not under uh, duress? So let's bring it back uh, quickly to the Jets, and then we'll, we'll move on to my favorite segment. So it, it, after seeing Mike White play and the toughness he's shown and the teammates who are buying in to, to what he's selling, Obviously, he wasn't a first-round pick. He was a day-three guy. Are, are you given if you're running the team? Are you giving Zach Wilson another chance? Uh, are you going to wait to the end of the season, let him get his mind right? Like, are you moving forward with Mike White trying to trade? Like, what is your thought process on a quarterback that you took? What was it? It was a top-five pick last year. Yeah, no, I think he was two. Wasn't he? I think he was. Second, he was a second pick after was it Lawrence and then him? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think you give up on him yet. I think Mike White has done a, a phenomenal job coming in. <clears throat> I don't know if he'll be able to stand up today after the uh, oh hits that he took in uh, yesterday's game. Uh, but he is a very good backup quarterback. You have to talk with your head coach and with the ownership. Is this guy our franchise quarterback or the guy we drafted number two overall? Uh, if we can get him right, and a list of things on what he needs to do to get right uh, that will go will give him another uh, another shot, uh, Zach Wilson another shot, and maybe it's just open competition next year. Yeah, and go from there. Who knows how this all 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 plays out? So it'll be interesting to see what develops in New York uh, with their quarterback situation. Yep, absolutely. Number two overall after um, Trevor Lawrence, one pick before Trey Lance. And uh, it just goes, I mean, that list right there, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, Kellerman, Davis Mills, just goes to show that it, the quarterback thing is its a crapshoot. Like, you really, it just, you just don't know what you're going to get from one season to the next. Uh, but we'll keep talking about that as we go through these old podcasts here. But for now, Rick, it's time for my favorite segment, Rick's Picks. And this week, <laughs> it's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And Stephon Diggs, fifth-round pick, 146 overall. How did Stephon Diggs last to the fifth round? How did he end up in Minnesota? What's his draft story from your perspective? Yeah, no, I remember because uh, I why I love to go out to college games is because you never know what you're going to see. And I knew uh, Stephon was a five-star recruit. He ended up staying in, in, in his home area in Maryland uh, to go to school uh, so his family can come watch him play. And I was at Virginia and it was 2012, and then I see this little skinny receiver <laughs> out there running around, and I'm like, who's this dude? And he said, it's just Stephon Diggs. He's a freshman. So he had four – I went back and looked at the stats. He had four catches for 89 yards, 
And then he had a kickoff return that looked like he was shot out of a rocket. He went uh, three kickoff returns for 147 yards and took one to the house. So that's the one where you're kind of watching the guys, you're watching for the draft. Uh, But then all of a sudden, like on your little note sheet there, you kind of put a star. Hey, maybe this kid digs may turn into something down the road. That's all. He's only a freshman right now, but let's see what happens. Uh, Why? Stefan probably fell because there were some character issues that were coming out. There were some durability issues coming out. Um, but you can see that when he played, and he was he was raw. I know you're going to have to get him under control, but his just physical ability just stuck out amongst everyone else. So there's a reason why guys fall in the draft. A uh, similar guy that we took in the fourth round uh, was who played very well for us. Uh, was Everson Griffin, who fell mm. not because of his ability, but because of some of the off-field stuff the teams had concern with. And when we talk about how you place those guys on your draft board, you may have them developed on your board in the second and third round, where we had uh, actually had Stefan Diggs actually in the third round. But because of some of the concerns that we had, we were going to let it slip by and see if we can get him in a fourth, fifth round uh, where we felt we can get a swing at him. And, and we were fortunate enough to do that. I have to give a lot of credit, though, to Scott Turner, uh, who was on the staff, Norvson, who's the offensive coordinator uh, with the commanders right now. He came in, and at the time, he was a receivers coach back in 2009, 2010 at the University of Pitt. And they were trying to re- recruit Stefan very heavily. So he was the one that came in and really stood on the table for him. Mm. Uh, you know, we interviewed him at the combine. The one thing that I'll never forget about Digsy is that when you looked at his eyes, you can see what we're talking about, that competitive fire. Yes. There was competitive fire. And you knew when we drafted him and he didn't go to where we took him. Uh, when he came in, he had flames shooting out of his nose and ears on how he was going to prove everybody wrong. And that first mini camp uh, at the uh, for rookie mini camp, and then through the OTAs, you can say this kid is definitely we we may have gotten a steal out of the draft. And then the, the rest is history from there. But a lot of times, these guys and teams will develop guys on their board where their actual value is, but. Because there is a character concern, a durability concern, any of these alerts that we put on these kids, they may it may drop them. Um, but it would have been interesting. Let's say we didn't have any character or durability concerns with uh, Stefan Diggs at the time. The guy that we took in the third round uh, was Daniil Hunter uh, that year. It was uh, – Trey Waynes, I think, Eric Kendricks in the second round, and Daniil Hunter in the third. Yep, that's right. And then uh, it, uh, we, we missed on TJ Cunningham, who was an offensive tackle coming out of Pitt in the fourth, and then we ended up with uh, with Diggs, uh, which was, uh, you know, again, another story, uh, not only trying to do the right evaluation and put these guys right on your draft board, but getting a, a little lucky as well. So you mentioned you just so I heard you correctly. You had a third round grade on Stefan, is that right? We had him at, uh, developed in the third round, but we had these special boxes right. that were below. That if we had a character or durability concern, we would say he has at least third round talent. 
but we will put him in these boxes on our draft board that say, recognize his talent, but don't take a chance on him till maybe the fourth, fifth round. Gotcha. Uh, where there's less risk financially. Uh, so, but you could potentially hit on a guy like that too, which we were fortunate enough we did. You mentioned TJ Clemens to tackle out of pit that that you, that you didn't hit on. Was there any conversation? Do you remember about taking maybe Stefan there as opposed to waiting? Yeah, yeah. No, we, he his name after the third round. Uh, after we we were really sold on Hunter uh, after we got back from the LSU workout. Uh, but that <laughs> that Saturday, uh, his name was in play there. But a lot of times when you're in that draft room. You may be looking at your board, and um, there may be maybe one or two offensive tackles left before the depth of that even drops off farther where there's nothing left if you don't take an offensive tackle there. And then you're looking at the receiver board, whatever that may look like. There's usually a lot more names at the receiver position than there is at the offensive tackle position at that point. So we took a risk. Just say, let's wait. Uh, hopefully we can swing back and get digs. And since there are not many offensive tackles left on our board here on Saturday, let's take a swing at an offensive tackle because those are usually harder to come by. No, and that actually makes sense. Uh, I know you don't. I'm, I'm. You may know this. I'm assuming you don't. Do you know how many wide receivers are drafted before Stefan went? No, I do not. 18. 18. Yeah, starting with Amari Cooper and then Rashad Green was the last one drafted before uh, Stephon Diggs went off the board. And still, I mean, still some good, like Kevin White didn't work out. Defonde Parker, Nelson Aguilar, Brashad Perryman, Philip Dorsett, Devin Smith got hurt. Uh, I mean, this is a list of guys that went early, and it just shows you the the volatility of drafting these guys. Tyler Lockett's a, a fantastic young player. Who's, he's still, in my mind, might be one of those underrated players in the NFL. But obviously, Stephon Diggs, I think his name's at the top of this list, which is, is just sort of crazy. Rick, that's another show in the book. Uh, we're three for three, Debo. That's it. That's a wrap on episode three. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. And if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. If you hated it, tell an enemy. Either way, just tell somebody. Thanks again. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Debo. Thank you to everybody who watched or listened. And we'll see you next week. Send in some theme music, please. We got to get better at the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary as we speak rap music on trial now streaming exclusively on paramount plus head to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply